Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs without Danny Morang tonight. He is on vacation, and those of you who follow him on social media know that he's got a very special vacation, which I'm sure he will tell us about next week. But I am not alone. Joining me today is uh, Blazer's Edge editor and writer, Steve DeWald. Steve, welcome back. I'm here, bleary-eyed and ready to talk about free agency after the last 48 hours. You've got it all memorized, right? And just ready to call off the top of your head? I, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> which way's up and which way's down after... I've just been basically secluded uh, in, in the back office of my house for the last 48 hours, it feels like. Yeah. So. Yeah, this whole business of uh, moving up the deadline to June 30th so everybody could get some sleep. It was an interesting tactic because it kind of gave everybody free license to just throw the deadline out the window completely, it seems like. <laughs> so many oh, I, deals were being made previous. I, I think it's – the moratoriums are such a joke. I mean it's uh, – it, whatever they move it to, there's always going to be 48 hours ahead of time. There's going to be news for it. Right. Well, it is Sunday evening. We are recording. We both have Twitter up. And I know I took a pledge that if something shocking came on my timeline, I was not going to swear. That's after I just read that Ed Davis had been signed by Utah. And I did swear. Um, but you confirm. May- <laughs> Sources confirm you swore a lot. I did. I, I'm not I'm not proud of it. But you know what? You, things happen. But let's jump in and talk about what how the Blazers have changed in the last several days because there have been some pretty significant changes and I'll talk about what they mean. So a few days ago, we had Evan Turner traded straight up for Kent Bazemore. And then earlier this evening, we learned that Al Farouk Aminu had signed in Orlando and followed shortly, shortly thereafter by the news that Rodney Hood had sign agree to stay in portland so those are all pretty significant they i'm curious uh where do we even start with what any of this means well well i think you i think we start with the basemore trade um just because that's you know it was the first chronologically was the first thing to happen and it just kind of you know you you bid farewell to to a guy like evan turner who i think was by no fault of his own, I think he took the money that he should have taken. Like if someone offers you that money, you take it. But his time in Portland was always, you know, side by side with the contract he signed. Um, you get a guy like Kent Bazemore, who is more of an outside shooter, uh, kind of, and can do a lot more without the ball in his hands, which is just 
a more natural fit with the Blazers. And, and really, it, it leads into the next thing where it's even at the time of the trade, you have Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reporting, you know, the Baysmore deal is a kind of an insurance policy in case Rodney Hood leaves. And then we find out today that Rodney Hood, who I would imagine had better offers on the table, decides to come back to Portland uh, for the full taxpayer mid-level exception, which was there was some controversy over what the size of that contract was going to be uh, initially. But it sounds like it's going to be the t- full taxpayer mid-level exception the first year, which is roughly around $5.7 million. And then next year, it bumps up to $6 million with a player option. Now, obviously, if Rodney Hood performs up to expectation this year, you would assume he would decline that to explore his options next year. But all in all, it's it's a, even if it's just for one year, it, it's a win for the Blazers. Yeah, a little bit more continuity for the team, which is, I think, super interesting because I think after last year's playoff run, I felt that all of the years of preaching continuity, I was kind of, I was starting to buy into it more than than ever I had. And if you look to the East right now, their rosters are shifting so seismically on like, you know, every 15 minutes, <laughs> something mm-hmm. major changes. I think it's going to be super interesting to see how those do- different things play out because, you know, Denver hasn't really announced any big changes right now. Um, you know, obviously the Lakers have had some changes and the Utah Jazz have made some additions, but it's also been pretty quiet in a lot of places in the West. So I think that's interesting. But anyway, going back to the things that the Blazers have done in the last several days, between the Bazemore trade, Aminu leaving to go to Orlando, and Hood re-signing, which thing are you most surprised by? I mean, really, it's kind of a two-way tie for me between, I hate to cough out and hedge here, but hey, I'm I'm shocked that Al Farouk Aminu left a little bit just because of Portland's cap situation. I figured they would they would spend the money to keep him since they can exceed the cap because they have his bird rights. And then really, when I started seeing some of these other wings start to get the contracts they were getting in the last you know 48 hours, you start to just do the math and realize that Rodney Hood is going to have some money out there. Like if a guy like Garrett Temple is getting $5 million guaranteed – it's you would almost assume that Rodney Hood is going to get at least eight guaranteed. So I, I, I was surprised there. And, and to be honest, I, I hate to look behind the curtain a little bit, but me and, and Lindsay, uh, the other editor that's worked the weekends with me, uh, we prepared two posts this morning for Al Farouk Amina. We prepared a uh, Al Farouk Amina resigns and we prepared uh, Al Farouk Aminu signs somewhere else. And, and really, I was assuming the sign somewhere else was not going to be used. Hmm. So, but we, we were grateful to have it put together. But it, it is surprising, especially a team like Orlando, because it's kind of a redundant skill set. Uh, they have a lot of guys that do very similar things in Orlando that Al Farouk Aminu does between Jonathan Isaac and, and Aaron Gordon. So it'll be interesting to see if there's a, a consolidation trade coming out of Orlando in the next couple of days. So the thing that surprised me the most, I also had two, but I was more surprised by the Baysmore trade and the Hood signing than Al Farouk Aminu leaving. So I know everybody thinks that I'm going to completely fall apart because Al Farouk Aminu is gone. And I was, I really thought that that was what was likely to happen. I just thought that um, he would 
you know, find more money. I mean, I know the Blazers could go over, but last year when we saw that they didn't even, you know, offer money to Ed Davis, basically, and they've done that, you know, to other players in the past, you know, with like with Wesley Matthews, I just thought that Al Farouk Aminu probably, you know, was prepared to move on. And uh, it seems like he would be, I think he would be a, a good addition in the, you know, the seasoned veteran type role. I mean, he's got, I mean, you know, people have talked a lot about what he brought to the team. And I think that he's, you know, going to be bringing that. So anyway, that one didn't surprise me. And I'm really happy for him. I'm really happy that he's getting paid. And um, I believe he also like owns property in Jamaica and that makes him that much closer to it. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it didn't surprise me too much. But I was really shocked between about a couple things about the Bazemore-Turner trade. One, that, you know, there was so much talk about how much Evan Turner was making and Bazemore is actually making a little bit more. So where's the outrage <laughs> that everybody, you know, was feeling when Turner first came to the team? I, I think with Turner, I think it was always, there was a couple ingredients. One, you have the whole Andrew, Andre Iguodala story of him calling Iguodala right after he gets paid. And basically was like, can you believe what I'm going to get paid? And Iguodala is like, don't hang up the phone. Like that's always a bad look. You never want to look like you're, you're competing against yourself to, to make a huge contract offer. Um, the other thing is I think Turner's game is kind of on the way out a little bit as far as, you know, he's not a perimeter player. He's ball dominant on the wing and, that's that's just kind of not really how the league has trended in the last five years. Whereas a guy like Bazemore, yes, he makes more, and you know, his contract was an albatross in Atlanta the last couple of years. But you can see how Bazemore fits into kind of what the Blazers are trying to do. He uh, he's a guy who shoots corner threes, which is something that's been a, a huge issue for the Blazers, uh, especially from their wings. So I I think. And it, and the outrage when when Turner showed up was it was a four year deal, whereas with it's with Baysmore it's just one year left. So really, I mean, it's a sunk cost already a little bit because you're you, you know Turner, you already gonna have the Turner money on the books. So potentially you pay two million more and you get a guy who's a better fit. So let's talk about the three four situation, you know, and how it has changed with. You know, we had a few years of Aminu and Harkless playing those positions. Harkless is, for now at least, still on the team, but Aminu is not. And now they have Bazemore and Hood. Do you think those two are just going to slide in and be the threes? Or do you think who do you think might start? I mean, how do you, how is how's how are all those things going to work? And are we going to see Collins going up and playing the five or the four? Or how do you see all the the sort of positions shaking out? No so, one we know so far anyway. I, I think we can touch on the five position a little later because I, I still think there's a mood to be made for a big man. And if you're looking for a guy at a decent price, I, I think a, a center is a guy that's going to be available for the Blazers. But uh, as far as the four position goes, I assume that is going to be where Zach Collins wants to go or not wants to go where the team wants Zach Collins to go. Cause he's, I mean, he talked about it in his extra interview is he views himself as a, as more of a five, but the, the team may or may not view him more as a four. So I assume that he will take over that four position. I mean, he's shown that he can defend in space and do fine there. I'm 
kind of in the I don't think this is a popular opinion right now, but I still think Harkless is probably your starter at the three. And then Rodney Hood is your is your backup shooting guard and Bazemore is your backup small forward. And if you put those two guys out there on the wing to start games or to, to come in after the starting unit comes out, you're having one of the, you you already have the ingredients for an excellent second unit. You take pressure off of Anthony Simons, who most likely is the third guard off the bench now. So, and this doesn't mean that's, that that's the starting lineup or that's the lineup that finishes games. I mean, depending on the matchups, you might play Bazemore instead of Harkless at the in crunch time. You might slide Harkless down to the four and Collins to the five. And Rodney Hood also is in that mix, too. So I, I still think Harkless has a, a opportunity to thrive with this team. And, you know, I'm, I'm big on – I mean, I've, I was early to buy all the property on contract year Harkless Island. So <laughs> – you know, if you guys are looking for beachside property, you know where to find me. So that, I, I'm a believer. So I was looking at, you know, because, you know, the 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 word on the street about Bazemore is that he was going to come in and he was going to shoot more threes. He's going to be a better three point shooter than Turner. And he was going to he's also a decent defender. I was looking at his stats and while he, you know, he's scoring 11.6 a game last year, he had 3.9 rebounds. He only shot 32% from three last season and Aminu shot 34% and there was a lot of slander about Aminu's three-point shooting. So is that something that you're concerned about? That was, you know, a pretty significant drop off from the year before last year, he was 32%. The year before the season before that he was 39%. He's really around like 35. So is 35% from three good enough now? I haven't looked at like where he's taking his three from. You you said that he was good at the corner three. So maybe he's better at the corner three and better getting at the corner than, um, than some of the other blazers have been in recent past. I, I think first and foremost, all three point shots are not create attempts are created equal. I, I think this last year he was inserted into lineups that had Trey Young, who was enduring a steep learning curve at the start of the year, uh, you know, Kevin Herter, and, and just some guys that were awkward fits in that. And the floor spacing was, I mean, yes, Trey Young has a has range inside the gym range, but at the start of the year, that was not always the case. So you're looking at him getting attempts late in the shot clock and most likely he's covered. So with Portland already with, with the guy, especially by bringing Rodney hood back on that second unit, you're looking at favorable spacing already for, for Bazemore, which I would have to look at what his shooting percentage is with people. Uh, uh, when he, their defender isn't within five feet, but I'd imagine it's pretty solid. Um, uh, although you could look at that and correct me right now, <laughs> but uh, I well, uh, even if we don't look at the stats, it seems reasonable to assume that with the Blazers, he will, like you said, have more space because absolutely. he has more people. Because you know there was a pretty significant drop off in you know the quality of his teammates over the last couple of years as they've become a rebuilding team instead of you know a sixty win team, right? Yeah, so exactly. um, that would make a lot of sense, even without looking at it. Um, I can I can see how that would be the case. Well, and then also just from a from a 
half court set standpoint, you have a rookie point guard that mm-hmm. is more likely to get into himself into bad situations and he's dishing the ball off late in the shot clock to his shooters, which already puts you up against the wall in those situations. So I, I, I have faith in mechanically everything looks fine with Kent Bazemore. He's shown that he can hit open shots throughout his career out of outside of some struggles last year, which I think are mostly team related. So it's really not a concern for me. That sounds reasonable. Okay, so another thing that I'm looking at with, you know, how are things changing for the Blazers, without Chief in the lineup anymore, and with Cantor still un, you know, unassigned, I guess, or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, still out there without having made a decision of, about he was coming back, that's a lot of rebounds between those two players. The Blazers have been an excellent rebounding team for the last couple of years. They they were number three in rebounding for the last couple regular seasons. Between, let's see, Chief had 7.5 rebounds. Cantor, while he was with the Blazers, had... Where did I write that down? Oh. Where did I write it down? So Chief had 7.5 rebounds. Cantor had 8.6. That's a lot of rebounds between those two guys. At this point, last year, Bazemore had 3.9 rebounds, and Rodney Hood was getting 1.7. Zach Collins is still not a big rebounder. Evan Turner was another guy who got fairly, you know, four and a half rebounds per game. Basically, I'm kind of worried about where the rebounds are going to come from. What are your thoughts on that? I think this is the one area I'm actually legitimately worried about. I, I think Zach Collins and Myers Leonard, if Myers Leonard is going to play spot duty until Yusuf Nurkic comes back, both of those guys have shown that they're not really natural rebounders. So, yeah, that, it's a big concern. Now, the silver lining for me is I think if you're looking to go onto the market and get somebody you can shore up that, that's getting rebounds is something you can do especially for like a veteran minimum and really you're only going to ask that player to exert himself for hopefully only a half a season until Nurkic can come back and that it's concerning but I still feel like the Blazers have one or two moves Mm -hmm. that are going to address that situation and I really kind of from what they've said about Anthony since the season ended you would assume that their next you know, thing to check off their list is a post player opposed to somebody in the backcourt. Cause I, I really feel like they think Simons is going to take over that position. Well, I mean, we've talked so many of the last several years about internal development. And I always thought about that in terms of like scoring and ball movement and defense, but it just seems like guys came in ready with the, with the rebounding skill set. Like, is that something that you can think of players, you know, historically, you know, improving on with that? Like maybe just Rodney Hood just didn't have the opportunity for getting a lot of rebounds, but he seems like, you know, because he's a perimeter shooter, he's not really in position very often to get those rebounds. With with perimeter guys, like I think it comes down to scheme, but I also feel like with perimeter guys, you either have that gene or you don't. And really with big guys, it's a 50-50 for me where it's like either you don't have the body initially to hold your own in the post or I think really so much of rebounding is instincts to me. Like there's guys that just know where the ball's 
going to land before as the shot is attempted before it even touches the rim a lot of the time like they're truly great rebounders like a guy like Dennis Rodman he was in the perfect position before that ball even touched the rim so and I think that's just purely instincts so as far as internal development goes I don't really know if that's something if rebounding is a learned thing now I think positioning is and having your body ready to you know, compete down there is a thing, but I, I really think like truly elite rebounders, you know, it's, it's, it's in their blood basically, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, right now the biggest players on the team are uh, Zach Collins and Myers Leonard, you know, who are able to play anyway, because Nurkic is not going to be back yet. And Scal, I don't know, maybe Scal's going to be our hungry rebounder. <laughs> like Scal, Scal BCA would be like the most, Olshay reclamation, as he likes to call them, reclamation projects. I know you don't like that term, but that would be one of the ultimates. And really, Scal's big bugaboo his entire career has been just confidence. I mean, that goes back to his days at Kentucky and certainly his days in Sacramento to where, you know, if he can recapture, you know, confidence in himself because he has all the physical tools, that'd be the ultimate testament to Portland's culture. Well, which, maybe if he just comes back in and concentrates on rebounding you know maybe that's maybe if the blazers don't make you know another move that will bring in somebody who is a significant rebounder you know maybe that's what scal's role is is to come in and play alongside somebody else and get those rebounds yeah i mean i think from a roster building standpoint they're still gonna probably go and look at a veteran guy or or explore that through a trade but you know that's something i'd love for them to give scowl an opportunity to earn meaningful minutes i think that all starts with with summer league i mean he's got to show that he's making strides and and he can fit with you know especially with a guy like amphony because that's a guy potentially he'll be playing with uh the next season if he really makes a a solid impression well is there anything else we should touch on with what the blazers have done so far i mean dwight james has sort of been teasing this this evening saying that there's more moves to come and then he said oh wait it's gonna take you know late into the night um i mean i'm assuming that he's probably talking about you know a veteran minimum center which is you know we've if we're on the edge of our seat waiting for a veteran minimum center yeah (laughs) that's interesting um but you know anything else that you can think of immediately that the blazers may be addressing like I don't know, Jake Lehman, Seth Curry. I, I think the Jake Lehman process will probably play out for a while just because I, I, I think he's going to hang out there as long as he can to see if another offer is going to come in. And then I think him him taking the qualifying offer is kind of the last resort in his in his negotiation process. So I, I don't expect anything fast moving on Jake Lehman. As far as the, the big man goes and other moves, like it could be a while because – a lot of money got spent today, and then there's going to be a lot of bargain shopping in the next couple of days. And there's a really good chance that a team ends up with a big man that they didn't expect to get. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're looking for a consolidation trade or one of their big guys becomes expendable. So, and, and that's something that is kind of Olshay's MO. I, I could see that going in a lot of different ways. I mean, traditional wisdom would probably say with a team that's looking to contend right now you would look for you know an established guy but 
Well, Shea, you know, last year, you know, everybody's saying, you know, bring in established players, bring in experienced players, and they go out and sign Nick Stauskas on night one. So I, I, this could be a guy like Dragon Bender or, you know, kind of a guy who's a retread looking for a new spot. And yeah, I, the big man is definitely the, – the big man rotation is something definitely to monitor in the next couple of weeks. And, and really a lot of that could do with how Scal performs in summer league, like I said. And I don't want to go too deeply into like all of the the cap works, but as I understand it, for Jake, they can go over to sign Jake, and for a, they do have the ability to sign a veteran minimum without punishment or you know correct hard capped or anything like that. Correct. Where it gets tricky for them is uh, using the biannual exception because if they're up against. The, if they are up against the apron, they can't use it. It'll hard cap them. So basically you're looking at – you have Jake's bird rights, which I think they're still in order of operations, which I'm I'm not as well versed as a guy like Eric is or, or Dan even. So that that's a situation that – there from now on when you're this close up against the apron, you're definitely – there's an order of operations to everything you're going to do. But most likely I would assume that – I can't imagine Jake's market being too on fire. So I would, I'm hopeful that he will sign the qualifying offer, hope that he performs well in Portland and enters free agency next year as an unrestricted free agent. Um, and that, I, I'm sure that's what Portland's hoping for too. Um, so, the, then, oh, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, and then I would assume the rest of the spots will probably be filled out with kind of veteran minimum guys. And really like last year, the Rockets kind of ran into this situation with their two-way contracts where they had a guy like Daniel House under a two-way contract, and uh, I believe Vincent Edwards was under a two-way contract. And they had enough non-guaranteed money where they could – so a two-way contract, basically, you can play so many days up with an NBA team. Once you meet that, you have to go back to the G League. Um, if the team wants to call you back up past those days, they have to convert your contract into a, a regular NBA minimum contract. But there has to be a roster spot for that. So Houston had enough flexibility initially to get rid of one of their players and then convert Vincent Edwards' contract to a two-way contract. Where they ran into problems was is Daniel House ended up coming up. He met his 60 days in the NBA, and you know he was good enough. He was a crucial part of their rotation at the time, but they didn't have the flexibility as far as non-guaranteed contracts just to waive somebody and create him a, a roster spot. So I could see Portland, you know, if Jalen Horde looks good in summer league and he's a guy who's a candidate that they're going to convert potentially to a, a regular contract, you're going to want, you might only see Portland carry 14 guys into the regular season and leave that spot open if they want to convert Horde at a later date. Or if they, I mean, they still have another two-way slot open and some impressive guys coming or guys that could land on an NBA roster coming to summer league with them this year. So they might want to keep their options open as far as that goes. So just to get back a little bit to Rodney Hood, the Blazers only had him on the team for half of the year. And it was uh, pretty exciting that he was able to come in and, you know, after just a couple of games of really getting acclimated to really make a difference. And, you know, I loved his like spinning jump shot and, and all that good stuff. For you, what are some of what's the ceiling, or what like what are your hopes and dreams for a, a a great season for Rodney Hood next year? 
I, I think it's just being being a guy who thrives in his role. Like really for Portland is something I preached on going into the playoffs is Portland really hasn't had a wing player like him where you can trust him to get him the ball. He can put the ball on the floor. He can make the correct pass and, and create for himself. And really that's all he has to do because typically guys like that get paid. And really that's, that's what I want to see for Rodney is maximize his earnings potential. And I mean, really it could have played a factor in why the Blazers didn't resign Alfred Camino is they might not have wanted to give him a multi-year deal to preserve some of the cap space that they're going to have next year, potentially. So there's there's a chance where Rodney can play his decline his player option and get even a better deal from Portland next year, and and that would be that'd be the ultimate goal for for me for Rodney would be to that to get that and get a you know a multi year deal with Portland. But really, I think it's just him recapturing the success from the playoffs and really just kind of finding a home after he's bounced around for a couple of years and kind of been in some tough situations in Utah and in Cleveland. You talked about his ability to create a shot for himself. And uh, yeah, that was, that was something that was a little bit of a surprise. I thought he was going to be doing a lot of catch and shooting, but he really was able to uh, do some creating do you have any thoughts on maybe some things we didn't really see from him that he has in his bag, but it, they weren't really able to just come out with the short time that he was with the Blazers or anything that sort of came out in the playoffs where it was like, oh, yeah, that's going to be useful? Oh, I think it's especially with Turner leaving. I think we saw it in the playoffs, but he can post up smaller guards and that's going to be useful, especially and really getting back to creating his own shot and having Kent Bazemore there, Bazemore there too is if Anthony Simons is the backup point guard for as much potential as he has, getting acclimated to playing every night is going to be it's going to be a learning curve. So having guys like Rodney Hood and Kent Bazemore, especially Rodney, where he can create for himself, is going to be huge, especially in the first part of the season where Anthony's learning. And I wouldn't be surprised to see especially early in the year, a lot of possessions go through Rodney where it's going to look like he might be dribbling the ball into the ground through the shot clock, but he's probably going to be tasked with carrying a fairly large load on offense, uh, especially if he's on the reserve unit. So you're thinking as Anthony Simons gets more acclimated to playing more minutes and running Portland's like specific offense, Rodney Hood might be handling the ball a little bit more, at least in the beginning? Correct. And and it might not necessarily be Rodney Hood's acting as a facilitator handling the ball. It might be him handling the ball to look for his own shot. Mm-hmm. Like because uh, I haven't really seen him act as a facilitator a whole lot in his career. So that yeah. that's to be seen. But I, I would expect, you know, any mismatch after especially after the Denver series, any any mismatch that he gets with a smaller guard, I expect him to go into the post. Like and then that was a movie hit routinely against against the Nuggets. Yeah, and with a, a a a new ball handler really in that second unit, there may be times uh, more t- more opportunities where things break down. Let's just say so. Oh, yeah. Opportunities for people to try to get their own get their own shot. Now, how about for Kent Bazemore? From you know what you know of him, what are your kind of hopes and dreams for a successful season for him? I think just like we touched on a little bit is just raising at three point percent, raising his effectiveness, his three point percentage, uh, taking high quality shots, being effective without having the plays drawn up for him, which is something that Terry Stotts and Bazemore himself talked about in the in his introductory press conference. Uh, 
if he's with the starters, it's crucial for him to be able to be effective without having to take the ball out of CJ or Dame's hands. And if he can do that, he's going to look at another quality contract after this season ends. So that, that's kind of, and I'm just hoping for a seamless transition for him to come into Portland. And it, it looks like the Pelicans and the jazz are close to finishing a deal for Derek favors to the Pelicans. So that was, that was kind of a guy I was hoping the Blazers could maybe get in on to sure up their front court, but it looks like the, the Pelicans are going to jump on that. Huh? Interesting. The, um, with, to get back to Bazemore for just a sec, when he came to town, I listened to his press conference. I was really struck at how in a lot of ways he's very similar to Damian Lillard. I mean, we don't know, you know, how he is if, you know, if he was in charge of a whole team like Damian Lillard mm-hmm. is, but some of just their background and their past, you know, their four year college guys, they came in at the same time, has a chip on his shoulder, like all those things. It's like you could just, you know, check off all the things on the list that Portland really likes in a player. And a lot of those things seems to be working pretty well for the team right now. So I, I, it's, it's interesting where, Portland, you know, really like kind of holding the line going after players who are very similar to other players on the team who have a matching skill set. It's like not a really extremely exciting tactic for <laughs> tactic for building a team, but it's almost it's actually, you know, zigging when everybody else is zagging. And what I mean everybody else is zagging is just like throwing everything at the wall that they possibly can, you know, like having a more of a, a structured build, you know, right now is kind of different from a lot of things other teams are doing. Well, I think I, I think just from an on the court standpoint, you could never have enough multi positional guys on the perimeter. And really, like one of the reasons I'm not worried about Portland having a, a surefire answer in the post is a lot of the times you see these big plotting big men. They're not on the court when it matters in playoff situations. And really, if you're Portland, that's the goal. Your goal is to get back to the Western Conference Finals and and not get swept this time. Like I, I think you're trying to add guys that are going to be there for crunch time. And how how Rodney performed last year and Bazemore's skill set, like both those guys, they project favorably for scenarios like that. And you know. Ken Bazemore might have been on a struggling team in Atlanta the last couple of years, but he was still a part of that 60 win Atlanta team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals. So these guys are these guys are ready to compete. And I mean, this is this is more of an offseason that I expected the Blazers to have last season <laughs> where they're bringing in some established guys. So, you know, it's better late than never. So I, I'm excited to see what these guys can do this year. Do you think that the Blazers tactics have changed at all with the you know, the changes that happened in Golden State and with, you know, L.A. shoring up, you know, bringing in Anthony Davis. Do you think my my thought is that the Blazers are doing exactly the same plan that they drew up three years ago? They're just like, you know, they're doing checking all the things off the list that they said that they were going to do in year three of this thing, that they're not deviating a lot from what the original plan was. Whereas, you know, when those injuries occurred for Golden State and now everyone's like, oh my gosh, we have a window. We've got to strike now. Do you think that that changed anything that the Blazers were looking at doing this summer? I think what you got to do is you just got to, you got to make smart moves. You got to make the moves that you can make. 
I mean, yes, I would have loved to see the Blazers go out and get Anthony Davis, but once you saw what that Lakers offer was, there was no way any team in the league was going to compete with that. And then, really, I mean, there's been some talk, and we've talked about it here. I mean, there's no real link to it, but like a guy like Blake Griffin, you know, those real big swing for the fences type moves, but there's, you know, you can only make the moves that are in front of you. I mean, Detroit was a playoff team. Blake Griffin puts butts in seats which is something that Detroit needs. So they might not be willing to put him on the block yet. So really, you can only make the moves that are in front of you. And for Portland to go out and get useful wing players like Kent Bazemore and Rodney Hood, I mean, Rodney Hood is a huge get. To get him at that price, at a position of need in the NBA, is huge for the Blazers, even if it's just for one year. Like, that's a great deal. And, and really, you're you're banking on continuity. And for, you know, you can't measure continuity for what it for how many wins it gets, but you can't. In the same token, people always say, "Well, you can't measure continuity." Well, you can't measure how many losses it causes either. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's point. that's uh, the our lack of continuity. How many losses it causes? So, really, I I think the Blazers have made, have, have made the right moves. I mean, obviously, you would hope that if a big deal arises that they keep themselves flexible and they're able to make that move. Yeah. Well, we will find out what happens next. Should we go into a little bit of the league wide moves? Um, yeah, sure. I I want to, first of all, thank the basketball gods for giving us at least one night of hope because like I said, so much of the blazers, the blazers just signed Mario Hazonja after a year of trying to get him. So we have to make what? The Blazers just Are you signed. Kidding? Well, we got to wait. It's Woj. So last year he reported that Mario signed with the Blazers. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and then they, he didn't. So we got to give it a minute. So. Oh my God! Wow. Um. Okay. Well, what I was gonna say was that I'm excited that all of the exciting moves seem to be happening in the East, and we can talk about that. And I'm talking about Katie and Kyrie and all that stuff. But let's talk about Hazonia. Can we talk about it yet? Has 30 seconds is enough time? It's, it's Do we been, need to wait five minutes? It's been a minute. Um, <laughs> wow. What are your thoughts? Um, Mario so, Hazonia. So last last year when it looked like it was going to happen. Yeah, he ended up signing with the Knicks. And so he played a lot of power forward this last year for the Knicks. And, I mean, he was kind of in a weird spot. He got into Fizdale's doghouse mm-hmm. for a while. But near Is the he end, a four or a four five? He's a Let's more go of to a bas- – I'm going to go to basketball. He's more of a three, a three four is what he is. So. Okay. So another six nine wing. Am I going to guess that he's six nine? He's That's probably a pretty good guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's wow. funny because me and Dan have talked about him off air a couple times on a guy that I, I, he's just a guy I kind of figured that the Blazers would be interested in. Again, he's pretty young. He's only no. 24. Yep. So he, he was drafted in the lottery, uh, fifth overall by the magic was an awkward fit. Never really took off in, uh, in, in Orlando and was in, I mean, obviously the Knicks were not very good last year. He made 24 starts last year, uh, kind of an awkward fit, not a great three-point shooter, but just kind of a another guy who's, when he's playing at the four, he's super athletic. So, it, you know. Rebounds? Uh, 
not not a great rebounder. Four point one rebounds last year. Yeah. So interesting. He is he's six eight, small forward. Yeah, but he I, I wanna say he played. So his per thirty six numbers are six point three rebounds per game. So it's not ideal, but it's not terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he played about a third of the year at power forward, according to basketball references reference. So So when you guys were talking about him, you know, what what interested you him in it, what interested you about him for fitting with the Blazers? Well, honestly, my uh, so I his swagger as a European really reminds me a lot of what Nurkic is. Like okay. he's He's, you know, kind of got the irrational confidence every once in a while, which, okay. you know, take it or leave. There's there's opportunities where I love that. And there's other times where it leaves me screaming at my television. Mm-hmm. But he's another guy who I think just has a bunch of untapped potential. Um, I assume he's a guy that the Blazers have liked since he entered the in the NBA. Yeah, Olshay tends to gravitate towards those guys. Um I'm sure that with as much dealing as Portland has done with Orlando, especially in the previous regime, that he's a guy that Olshay has probably called about a couple times and has shown interest in him in consecutive off seasons, obviously. I swear Portland has like a camera in the Orlando room <laughs> because mm-hmm. they, I mean, so many people and, and it's probably, it seems like it's probably mutual because I just, I feel like they know so much about each other. Somebody must be besties with somebody on their staff because it's just always been something that's going on. Um, So, you know, do you think that Hazonia coming in, do you think it makes it more likely that anybody, somebody else might be traded or is it too early to really talk about that? I, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's obviously like this is another name that, kind of goes into the same category as Maurice Harkless, if that's a contract that the Blazers are really looking to move. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I mean, I think Hazonja is an, a guy who can, if he plays well in the first half of the season, he's a guy who might be like Nick Stauskas, where you can attach him to another trade at the deadline. Like he's a guy, he's that buy low candidate. He's a He's an asset that might gain value especially on a he's signed a minimum deal mm-hmm. so it's you know it, it has the potential to a better situation yeah. he you know can outperform expectations then you know he may be attractive to somebody else later on but maybe not well yeah and i mean obviously when you're playing that game it's a point of is he an attractive asset on the trade market or is he attractive enough to be you know a valuable contributor for the blazers as they go down the stretch mm-hmm. so yeah, I think he he is a guy who, if everything breaks right, he's going to be a guy who straddles that line for the Blazers. So, you know, definitely. Uh, and see, I I prefer those type of moves nine times out of ten, especially at that position. I mean, I still think Bla- the Blazers need to go out and get a a veteran big man just mm-hmm. to kind of hold hold over until Nurkic is back. But I I like that move a lot. I was excited. For five minutes when I thought he was coming to the Blazers last summer. <laughs> and so. so far, it hasn't come back. Yeah, so. yep. hasn't come back. So. <laughs> it looks like it's sticking. So welcome to Rip City, Mario Hazonia. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is I, this feels like 
kind of an exciting day. I guess I think for me, the the Rodney Hood signing was like just it, that felt really, really good because it, it just it sort of set the tone for, you know, how mm. things are going to play forward. So excited about that. But to get back to what we were about ready to talk about, which is the other things that are going on in the league. So how about those Brooklyn Nets? Uh, the net, that's a, uh, it's more like, what about the, what about the Knicks? It's like being a Knicks fan is, is that's misery right now. I mean, yeah. did you, you watch the Stephen A? No, oh. no, I haven't. So he's miserable. <laughs> I, I would be too, if I was a Knicks fan. So it's, well, they got Taj Gibson. So yeah. Taj Gibson got a lot more money than I thought he was going to get. So well, good for him. I'm sure so. that the Knicks are giving out money to anybody who will come at this point. Yeah. It's, I mean, with the nets, I mean, obviously you're going to sit a year without Kevin Durant. So paying him that much money is, is, you know, that's a sizable risk. Um, if there was ever a player who's going to bounce back strongly from an Achilles injury, I feel like it is Kevin Durant. Um, but really, I mean, they signed DeAndre Jordan confirmed that later on this afternoon. So you have a lot of young pieces there. You have Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Jordan, and Kevin Durant as established veterans. I still think they have a move to make. I think Karis LeVert is best when the ball is in his hands, and a lot of guys love him around the league. He could he could fetch a, a you know a more of a three and D non ball dominant style wing for them on the trade market because I don't see how Karis LeVert and Kyrie Irving fit together. So. There's a lot of potential there. And I think what would be crazy, what's already crazy is how much since the Nets moved to Brooklyn, how much they share a history with uh, the Celtics going back to the trade with Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. And now they they get Kyrie Irving and how crazy it would be for the Nets to make a finals before the Celtics do. After the Celtics had all those assets, and now, I mean, you, I mean, you still have promising players like you know, Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum, but it would be if you went back three years and told me, you know, the Nets are going to be in better position to win a title than the Celtics are in in the 2019-2020 season. Well, the, I would call you crazy. The Nets were, you know, the butt of the jokes at the expense of the Celtics, and <laughs> now, now, how things have changed. Oh, so Mar Hazonja is already uh, communicating with uh, Nurkic on on Twitter now. So, oh boy, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. Oh boy, that's I I I don't know I I'm very I'm sad when players I'm not sad when players move on. Like people think that I would be a lot more broken up about people <laughs> you know Aminu leaving or Ed Davis leaving or whatever and. To me, I'm just glad that we had them and that we got to know them. And now there's a player out there who mm. I appreciate who's playing for another team. And this is an opportunity to get to know new people. So I'm looking forward to learning more about Hazonia. Um, I want to talk about one more kind of thing going on in the East. And that's what's going on in Miami and with the 76ers as well. So now mm. Jimmy Butler is in Miami. Al Horford is in Philadelphia. Yep. Like... like what do you think about those moves? Well, and then I, I believe the the Mavericks got drug into this too. I believe uh, Goran Dragic is uh, now with the Mavericks. 
so you have the two Slovenians now in Dallas. Yeah. So you got you got you, know, you got Dragic and Doncic together in Dallas, which I believe they were roommates at uh, the Euro Cup a couple of years ago. So that's it's cool to see those guys reuni- reunited. As far as the Heat go, like I don't know if there's any other franchise outside of the Lakers that just kind of no matter what obstacles they're facing, they just go and get superstar players. Yeah. They're like where there's a will, there's a way. And I guess maybe the Lakers isn't the right example. Maybe, maybe the Rockets are a better example in that situation where the Rockets have overcome cap hurdles consistently under Daryl Morey to get the guys they want. Um, granted they missed out on Jimmy Butler. They were one of the teams that really wanted him, but they've shown a, a, a way of doing that. As far as the, the Sixers go, I mean, getting Josh Richardson back from Miami is huge. That guy is on a great contract, and he is he can play off the ball, which is perfect for somebody who's going to play next to Ben Simmons. And and then Al Horford is really a, an ideal fit next to a guy like Joel Embiid and has been reliable that can shift down to the center if Embiid has to take some time off. So that once again that that Sixers team is a formidable team and they re-signed Tobias Harris so they they if Kawhi leaves the east or goes to a different situation it's tough to argue against the Sixers being the clear-cut favorite as Durant comes back from injury so you think the for in the immediate next year the 76ers have a better chance than the Nets but once KD comes back then the Nets you think step yeah. up I, I think that could that, and but really you have even that next year back is going to be a year where KD is going to be getting his sea legs again and, and you're going to have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid with another year of experience under their belt. So the Sixers are are a formidable formidable core over there in the East right now. So and they have some experience now adding a guy like Horford. So where Kawhi goes is still up in the air it's still possible he could go to the clippers but like i said i am just so happy that so much of tonight's activity all happened in the east so at least for Mm -hmm. one night we can act like the west isn't gonna (laughs) be blowing up um but Kawhi said that he's gonna wait a little while so it won't be uh won't be tonight anyway that Mm -hmm. we learn what he's gonna do what do you think what's your if you were gonna if you were a betting man I think trying to bet on anything Kawhi does is completely crazy. Like he is the most hard to predict NBA player. I I think there's no doubt that his family would like to specifically his uncle would like to get him back in California, but you know, that's to be seen. It's hard to walk away from a title team that's built to play now to win now, especially with the warriors uh, basically, retooling and rethinking how they're going to approach things. Um, it's, it's tough to walk away from that, but it's also like there's the talk that he could sign the one and one where he signs one year guaranteed with the player option in the second year. But I mean, this is a guy who was on the court in the arena when Kevin Durant went down with an Achilles injury. Yes. Kevin Durant got paid with the nets, but that's a massive risk to take and really could change how all these players evaluate how they advocate for themselves contract to contract. So I could, I could easily see him and really the Clippers have really banked on getting a big name that mm-hmm. this summer. And if they miss out, it's, it's going to be 
fairly embarrassing for them, yeah, I, I would assume. What? If they miss out, I bet they're going to be fine. I mean, they're oh, yeah. not going to be, you know, they have a lot of Kawhi good, but mm-hmm. they they just keep chugging along. They have a lot of really good foundational pieces that, um, you know, it's, it's just amazing how, like, my opinion of Doc Rivers has really changed so much in the last few years, the way that he's just, you know, put his nose to the grindstone and you know, made the Clippers outperform expectations. Well, and I think it for the last couple of years from, from Doc Rivers to, to getting Jerry West involved in that organization to the ownership and Steve Ballmer. Like, I, I think especially when you, I mean, we talked about the Knicks earlier, you look at a dysfunctional franchise, players do not want to go there. And the players that are there normally don't perform up to the expectation. So the Clippers have a lot of good things going for them, but they were, they were hell bent on getting Kawhi Leonard this this year, so that that would be disappointing if he goes somewhere else. Well, it's not over yet. Exactly. So one other team that I want to talk about before we go for the evening is the Utah Jazz. They are the thorn in my side. They <laughs> are the team that will not stop annoying me. With now, um, you know, they've got. More new additions tonight. Um, Mike Conley was obviously traded to them, and now they have Bojan Bogdanovic. Um, and but when I mentioned this to you casually, you thought that it wasn't that much of a concern. So tell me about your feelings about the Utah Jazz at this point. Talk I mean, me this, down. <laughs> this could this could all come back to bite me in the ass, but I I think you have. Mike Conley was a high mileage player who played in a system called grit and grind. Does a grit and grind system sound good to your long term, <laughs> you know, well being in the NBA? I don't think so. Like uh, he has a long list of injury concerns. I I am not fully confident he can make it through a whole season, especially in the side in the style that the Jazz play. I mean, I never root for an injury or expect an injury, but. To act like he is a lock to play 75-plus games this year, I think, is a stretch. Um, Bogdanovich is a, is a fine player, but really, like, he's not known for his defense or his athleticism. I mean, he'll be he'll be fine. He can make plays off the ball. He's, a, he's an interesting fit with Joe Ingles. I think some of their—I mean, Joe Ingles is a better athlete and a better facilitator, but some of their skills and how they play outside of just their skin tone, a lot of their skill set is, is a little redundant. Um, I I just I'm not as scared. I mean, they're I think they're going to be a damn good team, but I I'm not as terrified as some people are. Mm-hmm. But it's and with them, it's you're you're changing over your point guard. I mean, granted, it's Mike Conley, and you're you're switching out some guys that have been there for a long time, and you know you you got to see how that all comes together. But if I there's guess, do you see Mike Conley as an upgrade over Ricky Rubio? Oh, absolutely. If if he's healthy, if he's healthy, he's an absolute upgrade. But if but, he's not, then Donovan Mitchell is playing both positions at the same time again, and then he's getting a lot of uh, a lot of mileage. Well, and the big, the big, I think Dan's talked about this too. Is I mean, the big addition with Donovan Mitchell is like, or with uh, Mike Conley is Mike Conley is going to pick up the tough defensive assignments. And it's going to allow Donovan Mitchell to really focus his energy on the offensive end. But if Mike Conley's not in the lineup, I mean, you're looking at Donovan Mitchell picking up, you know, the most dangerous ball handler on the opposing team night after night. 
Well, I'm going to wait and see what happens with the other teams in the Northwest Division. I know that people are always joking about and saying that people who win the Northwest Divisions or, you know, who win divisions shouldn't hang up banners. But just about every year, I feel like there should be an exception for the Northwest Division because it's always so, so, so tight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, with the Timberwolves falling off and struggling a little bit the last couple of years, wow. that, like, you know, took one team, you know, out, but... Otherwise, it was just a dogfight, you know, between they, the remaining Northwest Division teams. If the Timberwolves get D'Angelo Russell, they're not they're not going to be a pushover. That'll uh, that'll be an excellent pickup for them. So yeah, I think whoever wins the Northwest Division totally should get to <laughs> fly the the division, whatever for the rest of the divisions. But the Northwest Division should get to put theirs up. Well, Steve, I think let's go ahead and call it a night. Uh, we had an exciting, uh, you know, breaking news with Hazonia. Now I got to go learn all about him and find out. I always go to their Wikipedia page first and learn all the little details about like the towns that they were born in and what their mom and dad did for a living. And all that <laughs> stuff. So I'm kind of itching to go do that. Um, let's see. Do you want to tell folks how they can find you and interact with you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Steve D Hoops. I'm all over BlazersEdge.com. Um, I will be joining Tara down in Las Vegas in the coming week or week and a half uh, for Summer League. It's coming up uh, soon. That's going to yeah. be so fun. So if you are a fan and you're planning on being there and listening to this podcast, make sure you reach out to us. Uh, we always like to interact with readers while we're down there. So I will hopefully see some of you guys soon. For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight and uh, going through what has happened so far. I really appreciate it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at TCBBigs. You can also find stuff for me on Blazers Edge. You can subscribe to the Hoops and Talks podcast as well. Follow at Hoops and Talks on Twitter. And go to the Blazers Edge podcast feed and sign up for all the Blazers Edge podcasts and you will get at least one, most of the times, two podcasts a week, both the weekly podcast and the Women's Hoops and Talks. So please go ahead and go to whatever podcast catcher you use and subscribe to the feed so you don't miss anything. And if anything else big happens, I will find somebody else to hop on or you, Steve, or when Dan gets back. If anything else happens in free agency, we will talk about it once it has happened. Thanks again for joining me tonight, Steve. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to having some fun in Vegas in just, oh my gosh, it's like a week. I know. It's almost here. I'm leaving. I'm leaving a week from today. You're probably going a little bit earlier. I'm leaving. I fly out Friday. Awesome. So yeah, folks who are going to be down there, definitely uh, reach out to us. It would be really fun to meet people in person. I love doing that. All right. For Steve and uh, next week, Dan will be back. We will talk to you all later.